Back on Equal Footing, I'm Dove Tusman. This is the third in our series, the last in our three-part series in honor of Pride Month on gay life in the Orthodox Jewish community. Our first a couple of weeks ago was on the experience for gay women that are living in the Orthodox world, trying to reconcile what it is to be observant and what it is to be to be gay, to be lesbian or bisexual. Our second in the series, kind of sandwiched between these two episodes, was last week we talked about the halacha of homosexuality, the interpretations of religious law as it pertains to same-sex desire, same-sex relationships. Really, I've appreciated the candor and courage of those that have been on the air, both as guests and those who have written in very moving stories and questions for those guests. Tonight, We're going to be talking about the gay male experience or the experience for men that do experience attraction to other men and living in the Orthodox world, whether they're open with that attraction, relationships with others and their family inside or outside the community, or whether they're not, as as was often called living in the closet. I know some of this language has, has changed, but we know what that means. You know, we've talked, we label tonight's show, Call Me By Your Name, in our social media blast referring to the, the movie. And it's a beautiful movie. I think the message is that love is love. And we can't deny often the way we feel. We can, however, modify the way we act. That's been a, a core theme of the last uh, few weeks. Interesting that tonight, talking about the male experience, has been a lot harder to program, I think our producer would attest to, than the other two shows. And I think that speaks to the complexity, the particular complexity of what it is to be a man with same-sex desires or a man living a gay life within the Orthodox Jewish community. It's different than being a woman. We talked about that last week, not only because of the cisgender differences, but also because of the halachic Differences there. We know from last week there are direct Torah references to uh, the sexual act between a man and a man that are not uh, in the Torah. There are references in the oral Torah about uh, experience, sexual uh, experiences and attraction between women. But that's, of course, um, in the Talmud and Midrash and, and rabbinical commentary over the millennia. But we have direct textual references in the case of men from Leviticus 18, Leviticus 22. And while there are different interpretations of that, it certainly makes it more complex. And I think that speaks to the compl- the difficulty also of getting someone who'd be willing to be on the air using their own name and living in the community. And that's that was hard for for me and our producer to digest because that means there are a lot of people that uh, several people we spoke to by definition a lot of people in the community a lot of men in the community that don't feel safe uh, in talking about their attraction or talking about their lifestyle hopefully this show will help people feel less lonely more accompanied and for loved ones of people uh, men that are uh confronting what it is to be, reconciling what it is to be an Orthodox Jew and feel attraction to other men, that it'll help those loved ones and friends and colleagues to understand how better to be an ally, how better to be uh, a friend uh, or a family member. And this show is, as, as you know, if you've been listening for a while, we don't shy away from difficult subjects, but we do stay within our community. The, the If we can't even talk about something, I would argue that we're not living the Jewish ideal. We know from our yeshivish upbringing, our Jewish educational upbringing, whatever it might be, that questioning is so core to our being. We should never be afraid to question. We should never be afraid to discuss. Our first guest here in studio is certainly not afraid to question and discuss. I'm a fan of far. I've been, I've been hoping to get you on the program for some time, Rabbi. It's Rabbi Mike Moskowitz. You got to check out RabbiMikeMoskowitz.com. Uh, you've got a ton of different uh, scholarly work there. Uh, he's the, uh, the author of uh, Chaver Up, 
textual activism, his most recent book, Graceful Masculinity. You got to pick up this book. His new book, Seasonal Resistance, will be out uh, later this year, early next year. Rabbi Mike Moskowitz is the scholar in residence for trans and queer Jewish studies at Congregation Beit Simchat Torah, the world's largest LGBT synagogue. He is a deeply traditional and yet radically progressive advocate for trans rights and a vocal ally for the LGBTQ community and its inclusivity. Rabbi Moskowitz received three ultra-Orthodox ordinations. This is important to understand. You know, Rabbi, I'm looking at you here in the studio. Sometimes we'll have someone like you, an Orthodox rabbi, who's scholarly and deeply entrenched in a complex issue, and we'll have uh, listeners who didn't listen to the introduction at the beginning say, why did you get some, you know, some reform rabbi on here to, to, to speak at me? No, I'm looking right here. Rabbi, rabbi Moskowitz is ordained three different or- ordinations uh, in ultra-Orthodox um, streams while learning in the in the Mir in Jerusalem and in um, Beit Medrash Gavoha in Lakewood, New Jersey. He's the David Hartman Center Fellow and, the as I said, the author of several books. RabbiMikeMoskowitz.com is where you should go to find out and ha- about more about his work and uh, and be able to contact him directly. Rabbi Moskowitz, welcome to the program. Thank you so very much for having me. It's a distinct honor and pleasure. It's so great when folks are in studio. It makes it so much more fun. Uh, and I know that our next guest, who's going under an alias tonight, I'm not going to say that again in the program because it feels unnatural, but I totally respect where this uh, gentleman is coming from. He just felt that for his own comfort and willingness to, and ability to speak openly, he would be under an alias tonight. So we're going to be calling him on the show Dovid Green. Dovid, I love that you chose that particular alias because, of course, my name is Dove Bear, not 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 Dovid, but that makes it fun. Dovid uh, is joining us tonight out of studio. Uh, he's with uh, family, so he's on the on the phone. And I want to be clear that the the changing of his of his name on the program is not out of fear; it's out of respect for his own family and community due to the sensitivity of the subject. But let me give you a little background on Dovid because I think this will help situate where we are on this topic. He grew up in a large Orthodox Hasidic family, numerous siblings. Um, he had his first same-sex encounter at the age of 12, uh, not fully appreciating the meaning of attraction to men versus women until about the age of 17, when in yeshiva he realized that he noticed the men when his, his colleagues would notice the women more. Not thinking much about this struggle, Dovid then jumped off the cliff and married. And we know there's a social and a cultural obligation in, in many Orthodox communities, many Haredi communities, to get married quite young as a relative to the secular median age of marriage, usually you know 18 to 20 years old. Ten years into his marriage, Dovid sought help as he found that his struggle didn't fit in congruence with the life that he was living as, as, as a married man. Today, he understands why he has these same sex, same sex attractions. He's done healing work around his wounds and lives largely free from a same sex struggle. He still lives a religious Orthodox life. He supports other men who have same sex attractions that are quote unquote unwanted or isolated and wishes there was more openness in the religious community to help those that struggle with this so they don't feel ashamed that they have this uh, struggle and feel like they, they have no place to find support. You know, I just want to say before we start here, and Dovid, welcome to Equal Footing. Thank you so much for your willingness to be on and to your courage to be talking about this sensitive subject and, and potentially helping others. Thank you very much for having me, and thank you as well for mentioning that the reason for going uh, with an alias is out of respect for others, and I do hope, uh, as I believe we're going to talk about later, uh, that the community as a whole gets to a point where there's an understanding that we don't need to uh, hide in the shadows in any way. Indeed. Thank you. Amen. And I want to mention that there are, you look, you can look in the show notes for this program and, and the past couple of programs in this series, series for Pride Month. There are organizations like Eschel and others are out there that are firmly rooted in the Orthodox community and still give support to, uh, to, to folks dealing with this struggle or living an openly gay life and reconciling that with Orthodox, um, observance. Okay. Let's, let's dive in. This is, this is, this is, uh, tough. Because I, and I have to, it's, I have to resist to not, you know, pass my own, um, judgments, not the judgments on what it is to be, to have same sex attraction, quite the contrary, but the judgment I have on, on, on those who would make anyone feel ashamed or isolated. Rabbi Moskowitz, you're probably in, in, 
in, in, you're probably familiar with the with the social statistics, certainly more than I would be in the, in the community. A couple of of quick questions. Do you feel like the incidence of uh, gay life? When I say that, it's not I don't mean just the desire, but actually actual actualizing the desire and having relationships between between men is higher or lower as a relative to the society at large is roughly about one out of 10 men. Um, or is it, you know, really the same, not in terms of the desires, but actually, you know, folks, you know, having same sex relationships as men within the Orthodox community. I think it's hard to access some of the data because most of it's, uh, kind of below the radar. And so I think it probably trails a little bit, both in terms of, uh, people having access to awareness and education and also opportunity. So in terms of um, what percentage of kind of the ultra-Orthodox world or the Orthodox world, you know, is part of the LGBT um, broader community, it's probably the same as the national average, but most people don't actually identify as being part of a community because they often think that they're the only ones. Right. That's a good point. There's a selection bias built into that statistically. Of those that are in the community, say roughly a similar percentage or, you know, and we'll get back to that, that, that in a moment, what, what percentage roughly of those that are in same sex relationships or same sex, uh, sexual behavior are living in the closet are not open with anybody, but say their mo their therapist or their, their, their closest mashpiach. And, you know, you know, I, I'm not saying they haven't told anybody in their life, but are largely living in the closet. That number in terms of people who are out is the largest it's ever been. Uh, if we think about the modern LGBT movement going back to Stonewall, it's only 50 years old. 50 years ago, there really wasn't a single place to be out publicly uh, within society. And uh, the different parts of Judaism have uh, have grappled with it. And I think now the edge is very much within orthodoxy, but it's not unique to orthodoxy. It's just that now it's the time that they're dealing with it. So... It's hard, again, to know, but um, I think particularly among young people, it might be the majority. It might be approaching the majority of, uh, let's say, people in their teenage years, post-adolescence, that oh, are out. are approaching marriage. I would say that the majority of people who are aware of their same-sex attraction are not silent about it. Okay. And I think that that is reversed from even, let's say, five or ten years ago, where the vast majority were, were silent about it. So, Dovid, interesting, around 10 years ago, nine years ago, there was a, a fairly comprehensive study um, that was done in coordination with, with uh, several universities published by Carney Kissel and, and Haya Itzaki that tracked a number of years of uh, lifestyle and behavior amongst uh, Orthodox Jewish men who I, I self-identified as either, as either gay or having uh, same-sex attraction. And in, in that study... It found that at the time, two thirds approximately of the uh, study group um, were living effectively entirely in the closet. Now, we weren't able to find in our pregame research any comprehensive, reliable academic study on the statistics since. To your point, Rabbi Moskowitz, it's somewhat hard because people have to be willing to participate. But does this comport with your, do you think that that has changed? Do you think that, like, to, anecdotally, does that feel right to you as someone who is, you know, has same-sex attraction and is, is to some extent not talking about that with your community? Um, I would say, for, you know, that, that, yes, there's a large number of people that are uh, more open, but there's definitely a significant number of uh, people that are, are, are not open uh, and, and are seeking uh, kind of support and guidance just to even understand what they're dealing with. Uh, some because different communities aren't uh, aren't open and don't facilitate that opportunity to talk. Uh, some want to stay part of the community, and the community as a whole may not uh, necessarily accept them in that community. But I, I do find that there's many uh, many people. I, I wouldn't have any numbers. Uh, to share percentage-wise, but there's definitely a lot of people that are, uh, you know, are struggling, uh, you know, quietly. Uh, but I, I think, as uh, Rabbi Mike said, that uh, that there's there's definitely more people that are uh, coming out now 
um, and sharing now than there were, say, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Moskowitz, before we go to our first break, last week, Rabbi Joseph Isaac Korf was in the program, and we were talking about halacha. And it, we don't want to mix the topics. We're not talking about halacha here tonight. Uh, but where where it crosses over to the experiential, the lived experience discussion tonight is around the concept of, of nature versus nurture. And um, and when the question was put, you know, should should halacha or at very least communal behavior change if we acknowledge that there's scientific evidence that uh, many of us are born with kind of same sex attraction uh, genetically built in and um, putting aside the halakhic point do you feel that that is being more broadly understood the scientific evidence within even the you know traditional orthodox streams it's a really important principle in, in rabbonus that you can't pask in a shail until you know the mitzvah you can't answer a question in jewish law until you don't understand the reality right. when people thought that smoking cigarettes was healthy people smoked and then when they realized that it's not so good for you the halacha didn't change. It's just the information that we plugged into the system changed. So the idea that there was uh, a concept or any sort of imagination that people could be in same-sex relationships and be in the Orthodox community, that, that wasn't on the table. That wasn't a viable option. And so before I think we get anywhere near the verse and the interpretation of the verse, I think there needs to be uh, a cessation of the erasure of the experience, denying it, telling people, listen, it's a struggle. Take one for the team. How do you know that you're uh, gay? You've never been with a woman before. She'll cook and she'll clean for you. So that was really the, the dominant response. And I think that has very much shifted, that now there are many rabbis, centrist, right of center, that will refuse to officiate at a, a wedding of a mixed orientation couple where, the, the let's say, the man is gay and the woman might not even know um, because – Nobody wants somebody that they care about or really any human being to be married to somebody who couldn't possibly find them to be attractive, uh, particularly before it happens. So I think that rabbinic malpractice of uh, forcing queer people to marry straight, um, so that certainly shifted in terms of um, rabbis taking responsibility for the welfare because there are other options now uh, without having to any, approach anywhere near the verse. Yeah. We're going to be right back. So much to say on that topic. And I feel I'm glad we're doing this show as the last in the series, because for, for me, at least, there's been a foundation of I didn't even know that that some of these marriages occurred. And now I know this, that they, they actually for decades were, were quite quite a prevalent approach to, you know, if someone had same sex attraction saying, OK, get married anyway and, you know, deal with that. <laughs> we'll be right back on equal footing. Call me by your name. We're talking about male same-sex attraction and gay life in the Orthodox Jewish community. We'll be right back. Equal Footing is brought to you in part by our wonderful longtime sponsor, DocuVax. DocuVax is not just about about vaccines. It's about your medical records. Your medical records do not belong to the government. They don't even belong to your insurance company. They don't even belong to your doctor. Your insurance company, your doctor, and the government may need to use them occasionally, but they belong to you. Why do we have more information about when our pets need to get a vaccine boost or get a blood test than we do around our own needs? Get your medical records into your control. Sign up for DocuVax. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. You can also down, you can go to DocuVax.com or you can download the DocuVax app on your iPhone or uh, on your Android phone in the app store. Here's how it works. You just dump your medical records there. It could be blood test results, MRIs, x-rays, vaccine and immunization information. DocuVax has it organized. Doctors and nurses are on call 365 days a year. They classify that information for you. So now you can go to a specialist without having to spend unnecessary money with your primary care provider. You can provide information to your insurance company or your employer as you want it without giving up sensitive personal information like your date of birth or your marital status, other things that are irrelevant in your file, and sometimes get discounts on insurance, get into a concert venue if you show you have the right vaccine, whatever it may be, it's very easy. DocuVax uses a proprietary 
QR code based system. It's all HIPAA compliant. So you as an individual subscriber can decide what information you share and with whom on your own terms. Again, sign up docuvax.com or download the docuvax app. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. And if you are an organization, a small a medium-sized uh, uh, employer or a school, and you want to get your employees on the DocuVac system as a benefit, just like a gym membership or anything else. It can lower sick days. It gets people's you know, health, basic health information more in order. You can get a discount, but you have to mention that you heard about DocuVax on the Equal Footing radio program, and you have to call 833-859-1933. That's to get Group discounts for DocuVax. That's 833-859-1933. Operators are standing by. I've been caught, but I'm keeping on, keeping on checked. All right, we're back with Dovid Green, who's a community member, and Rabbi Mike Moskowitz. We're talking about same-sex attraction and the gay male experience. We talked about the, the cisgender female experience a couple of weeks ago in the Orthodox Jewish community. Rabbi, I keep wanting to call you Rabbi Mike because you're so, you're, you're so, uh, friendly looking for Rabbi Moskowitz. I want to be respectful. And, and Dovid, I caused a bit of a, of an uproar problem for myself on last week's program because we were talking to Rabbi Korf about the halacha and he was basically saying, you know, there, there is no nature component. It's always all about nurture. No one is born gay. Uh, he said, well, you know, what if I compared it to, you know, the, you know, trafe food, right? And so I said, well, you know, it's one thing to deny yourself eating pork. Okay, we all get that as a Jew. It looks tasty, but, you know, we have a, a clear uh, prescription. It's another thing to deny yourself love, to deny yourself sexual um, experience for your life. That doesn't seem consistent to me with with being Jewish. So if you accepted for a moment that someone's natural being was same-sex attra- same attraction, that level of denial to me feels like it's out of sync with what it means to be Jewish. Now, just the comparison uh, caused some issues. Uh, Dovid, does that resonate at all with you? Because you, in the intro that you provided to me to introduce you, you've talked about this struggle around same-sex attraction, which you acknowledge having had, and actually acting on that. So you, to, you spent a good portion of your life denying the actualization of that attraction. Was my comparison absurd, or does that resonate with you? So what resonates with me is the, you know, the, from my experience, and I, and I can't speak for every man, man out there that uh, deals with same-sex same attraction, but from my experience and a lot of the men that I've worked with, the uh, I, I'm not going to say nobody is born gay uh, because I don't know everybody, and I, you know, and, uh, there's a lot of studies out there, but many of the guys that uh, have uh, that struggle with same-sex attraction have a history that has uh, potentially led them to the need for male connection. Uh, and that definitely was the situation in my case. Uh, and and the, the Torah wouldn't put in a, uh, a requirement that doesn't allow you, and again, this is from my perspective, the Torah wouldn't put in a requirement that doesn't allow you to be with another man if that was a natural, uh, a natural situation. So for me... What I needed to, and, and, and at the same time, on my own personal journey, I could not reconcile my struggles based on the Torah, because a lot of my issues were, at that time, with the Torah itself. So I had to reconcile it with my own understanding of why am I attracted, you know, why do I have this attraction to, to other men, and at the same time being uh, raised in an Orthodox community. And for me, through through uh, a lot of uh, healing work and a lot of research, I found that for in my situation and many of the men that I I, I'm, I encounter, that there's wounds that has led them to it. Uh, so so I would agree on some level with uh, what Rabbi Korf and I did not listen to that uh, uh, that show. That's fascinating. Sorry for the interruption, David. What are those wounds that you feel? people are people have that that leads them to to these attractions so 
so it, it could be many, many different things. Uh, you know, it can be uh, more, uh, more uh, clear wounds, such as being sexually abused, uh, emotionally abused. Uh, but, but, you know, in many of the ways it's uh, people feeling worthless, not having a loving uh, father figure, not having loving mother figures, uh, perhaps being bullied, or just perhaps feeling less than and wanting to feel a sense of belonging within the community and not necessarily having that place where they can belong and be connected with others. And they'll find that with other men that, that will accept them because that will fill that, that void that they may have. You know, last week, Rabbi Moskowitz, another thing that got me in hot water was uh, actually really just reading a listener's comment on the air about the relationship between Dovar Amelech and, and Yonatan, uh, in, in the Humash. And there's, there's a lot, you're probably aware, quite a bit of scholarly work about it. And, you know, was, there was certainly love, uh, between King David and, and his best friend. The language in, in, in the original Hebrew, can lead one to believe that that was erotic, that it was it was more than 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 friendship. I, I'm I'm mentioning that now because I'm I'm riffing off of Dovid's comment that um, you know does the Torah actually allow perhaps for for that type of relationship? It doesn't seem to be quite as open and shut a case. A few different points. The first is um that there are people who see homosexuality as a consequence of trauma, and the way to treat it is to heal the trauma, and then the person's no longer uh, gay. That was told to me by a very prominent um, therapist who made national news a couple of years ago when he was busted trolling the Internet for other men. Um, and uh, um, conversion therapy has been banned in several countries, in Israel in particular, in Canada. There's a lot of work being done in this country um, and um, and in England and other places in Europe that uh, conversion therapy, I think, for the most part, just converts people out of Judaism. Right. Um, uh, Rabbi Penner from YU recently put out something that if conversion therapy worked, we would be obligated in, in, in people converting themselves out of being queer, but it doesn't work. And so... And this has been accepted, I think, even in the right-wing world. I was actually diving at the Kaisal and got a text from Rosh Hashiva in, in Lakewood. Uh, he said uh, he has a boy. He came out to him as being gay in his base medrash. The boy was happy sitting and learning. Um, the boy told his parents that he was gay. The parents wanted to send him to conversion therapy. And in the words of the Rosh Hashiva, this boy was way too gay to do anything about. And he said, what can I tell the parents? That, uh, uh, you know, it's just going to be traumatic. It's not going to be from anymore, and he's still going to be gay. So I think that um, people are complicated, and we have a very hard time knowing why we are who we are. And uh, to the extent that we can explore that and come to understand ourselves and our motivation, it's, it's holy work. But um, I don't think acceptance of people around LGBT, LGBT uh, issues needs to be contingent on our understanding of the process of, of why we're observing what we're observing in the world, the trans experience in particular, uh, particularly the gender queer experience. It's expanding. Um, part of what Judaism asks of us is to support and love uh, other people, even when we perceive them as others, even when we can't relate to them in terms of our own personal um, lived first-person narratives. Uh, when the Torah was given, the Pasuk says, that the entire nation saw the sounds. Most people don't see sounds. Most people don't have synesthesia. But the Torah wasn't given for most people. The Torah was given even for the most, what we'd say, marginalized experiences. So I think it's important to to frame that there are no extra people in this world. The Kaddish Baruch Hu doesn't make mistakes. And uh, we all have struggles of being human. We all have struggles of desire of intimacy. And some people never get married. Um, and so... The Torah does say explicitly that it's not good to be alone, and right. so I think that is very much the Torah value. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 50, and uh, I, I God willing, you know, we we'll married next year. <laughs> it's taken a while for me to have a, a traditional traditional marriage. So I want to be fair to Rabbi Korf for a moment because he did say during the program, despite um, what I would I don't know. I'm, you know, speaking somewhat, uh, um, you know, obliquely, I would refer to it as kind of a hardline stance in certain respects. But he did say that the that the the, the mandate to love our fellow human being uh, and to perhaps 
in his words, hate the, hate the sin, but not the sinner was higher than, um, than any other mandate. And so I want to, I want to you know, acknowledge that. I also want to make sure that folks can participate in tonight's dialogue. You can text a comment or question, uh, into 917-428-4062. We've already gotten some from regular listeners. 917-428-4062. You can either text or WhatsApp to that number. Once more, 917-428-4062. If you want to be on the air with us, call us at 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. You don't have to use your real name if you don't feel comfortable. If you want to call in, uh, please do that. Share your experiences. Ask questions to Rabbi Mike Moskowitz. David Green is a, is a community member talking about his own experiences. David, let's go to you one more time here before we take our second break. You're married to a woman. and as I understand it, for uh, many years since you, you, I know you had a, a same-sex experience when you were 12. I'm not sure in the interstice between 12 and, and now if you've had other same-sex experiences. Uh, but tell us a little bit more about your journey being married to a woman and, in your words, struggling with same-sex attraction. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'll talk about my journey in a second, but if I can just respond quickly to uh, Rabbi, what Rabbi Moskowitz said about uh, conversion therapy, um, I, I I can't I don't have uh, numbers or statistics on uh, on conversion therapy. I know uh, conversion therapy uh, has been banned in in many ways. Um, and at the same time, uh, I've participated in various of these. Uh, you know, I, you know, I'm not on I'm not a, we're not li- we're not in person, so I can't you can't see my quotations. These conversion therapy uh, organizations. And many of them, you know, they, a lot of what conversion therapy uh, that has been banned is is what was presented back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, shock therapy, different therapies to turn you from gay to straight. And, uh, and, and, I, and I agree, that doesn't work. At the same time, a lot of what these programs do offer is an opportunity for men uh, who do struggle to find a place where they can look deeper in their struggle and find uh, a wholeness in their masculinity. And I can speak for myself and for many other people that have found, uh, have, have found uh, camaraderie and connection through these places and have found healing through them. Will I say that the attraction uh, to other men has 100% disappeared? No. And I, and I would be surprised if anybody uh, claims that. Uh, but at the same time, it allows you to, to live more, in congruence with what you believe and who you who you identify are, identify as, and a lot of these programs, which are called conversion therapy, really are places where men can explore their uh, their unwanted same sex attraction because they believe it comes from somewhere else. Um, with regards to uh, with regards to your question about uh, my own life, um, so, so just to, I am married. Just, uh, before you go there, just to, just to understand it, put that in, put a bow on that. You're you're saying that 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 maybe we're applying too broad a brush to conversion therapy and there are certain methodologies that do have value. Yes. I, I believe there's a, there's a lot of programs that allow men, you know, yes, they do address, uh, you know, uh, wounds. Uh, the, the programs I, I participated in were not intended to, uh, participate to, to, to change me from gay to straight. What their, their intention was and, and what I took from it, was an opportunity to explore my masculinity and to allow me to grow as a man and feel safe and connected with okay. other men. Okay. And, 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 and some of their processes, uh, you know, you know, may be considered, uh, you know, uh, questionable, but I, I've never found any of them to be traumatic the way a lot of conversion therapy is made out to be. Understood. You know what? Let's take our, yeah. our, our next break. And then when we come back, uh, Dovid, if you could tell us a little bit more about your, your direct lived experience while sure. being, being married. We'll be right back on Equal Footing talking about same-sex attraction and the gay male experience in the Orthodox Jewish community. footing with 
with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. We're back on Equal Footing with Rabbi Mike Moskowitz and David Green, and we are talking about what it is to grow up and be gay or grow up and have same-sex attraction as a man living in the Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox worlds. David, you were talking a little bit, a little bit about your experience. For listeners who are just tuning in, you're married to a woman and you have struggled, using your words, with same-sex attraction in in your life. Yeah, so uh, just take like, you know, my history is basically that uh, about 12 years old, I uh, had my first sexual encounter. Essentially, I was molested, and that went on for a couple years. And, uh, and really, it continued uh, as a feeling throughout my years in yeshiva, not understanding why am I noticing all these uh these men when everybody else is noticing these women. And at the same time, I really didn't have much uh, terminology. Uh, I mean, I knew, I, I knew what, you know, gay people were, straight people or trans people. I knew, I knew all that stuff, but I didn't, it wasn't part of my world as much. And uh, when it came time to get married, I, you know, like everybody else, I, I got married and I was able to happily marry my wife uh, and, and kind of live a dual life where on the one hand, I'm noticing all these other men. And at the same time, I'm living a married life uh, in a from community. Uh, it, it got to a point where I, I began noticing that I was looking at pornography and doing other things um, that didn't didn't sit right with me. And I began to explore, you know, wh- what is really going on for me. Uh, and eventually, my wife, uh, you know, found out uh, through the conversations, and that led me onto a journey where it's like, you know, you can't live this life. Uh, either either we're either we're married or we're not, um, and I began a, a research journey of my own. Uh, but like I said earlier, I could not uh, explore this journey uh, based on the Torah because the Torah was a place that you know had a very strict rule that said no. And for me, I needed to embrace this based on who I am. And if I'm if I'm a gay person, I needed to live a gay life. If I'm a straight person, I needed to live a straight life. Uh, but I couldn't live a, a, a straight life because the Torah said, but be a gay person uh, in the closet. And, uh, and so that, so that kind of led me on this journey to begin to understand uh, what was going on. And uh, really, I, I ended up finding help uh, through a non-Jewish therapist uh, that, uh, that helped give me a, a picture of what was going on in my life. Uh, for me personally, my relationship with my father was not good as a childhood. So I definitely fit the stereotypical, uh, father wound, uh, person. But, uh, but again, over the years that I've been supporting people, I've found that, uh, many, many, if not most of the people that I come in contact with, and obviously I'm not coming in contact with people who are not looking to get in contact with my perspective, uh, you know, that, uh, that many of them have similar stories. Well, first of all, uh, but I would never encourage somebody to marry in that setting, in, in that setting either. No, and I would be- encourage them to, to work through it. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've been clear in, in, in some of the pregame discussions and as well as uh, on the air, and I honor you for that, that you're talking about your experience, and that I think helps other feel, others feel uh, less alone, but you're not being prescriptive that those experiences are, and, and approaches are, are right for everybody. I do think it's great, even though you're here in the program under an alias, that you have an email that we, that you have allowed us to share on air for others that may be going through this and want to actually talk to someone who is, is this is part of their lived experience, part of their real life. And that's Dovid Green, D-O-V-I-D Green, G-R-E-E-N 41 at gmail.com. Dovid Green 
41 at gmail.com and we'll say that email again at the end. And then Rabbi Mike Moskowitz has made it clear you can also contact him. He leads an Orthodox LGBT uh, congregation. I think it's the largest one um, in, in, in the world, or at least in the United States. There's a lot of experience being ordained, being an, an as an ultra-Orthodox rabbi and also accepting and working with people from the queer community. And his uh, he's accessible at RabbiMikeMoskovitz.com. That's RabbiMikeMoskovitz.com. Rabbi Moskovitz, how does Dovid's story and journey resonate with you and some of the congregants and, and folks that, that you work with? It's powerful that he's sharing and, and very brave. Um, there's no one way to be gay. And there's uh, there's an understanding each person is the main character in their own story. And that's true for all of us. Um, and so I hear from people um, along the spectrum. Um, and for some people, they knew they were gay before. For some, they knew they were gay before they got married and were faithful for a period of time and then found it uh, impossible to stay that way and have been with more people than they can remember. And sometimes they call with the shame of what's perceived of uh, the sin of being, of just being gay, um, but don't necessarily carry any sort of regret or shame about being unfaithful. And for other people, they embrace um, the holiness of the struggle, that they've always been faithful, and they really are with their uh, with their wife for the sake of heaven, that they're doing it because they think that this is what God wants from them, and and uh, and they they throw themselves back into the fight, and they. They find support from others, particularly in controlling their thoughts. Uh, a man reached out earlier this week. He's 26. He's got three kids. He's Chassidish. He thinks that he's trans. Um, and um, he just wants help in controlling the thoughts. Um, and he wants to stay with his wife. And and for other people, they are in the same situation. They know that they're trans and are waiting for their youngest kid to, to get married. And then they're going to transition. And their wife already knows. And so... Uh, the, we don't answer questions, we answer people. And each person is in a unique situation, the result of their unique life experiences. And with tremendous compassion and grace, we need to recognize that there's no one way to go about this. Um, but there are some principles that I think can help guide people, particularly around safety and, and honesty and authenticity. Yeah, I want to both, bouncing this off of you, Dovid, and you, Rabbi Moskowitz, let's read a couple of uh, listener questions and comments, some, some interesting ones. And I apologize in advance. I sometimes don't read the whole, uh, bit because some of them are, are, are long. Um, but, uh, this, this is a message with the person not wanting to provide their name. I don't have your name here, so I'm not worried about providing it. Um, I grew up already. I am gay. I want to be clear with both of your guests. Self abnegation is a Christian thing, not a Jewish thing. Self-denial is not what we're about. There's some more said there. Rabbi Moskowitz, is that is that right? I can't speak to whether or not it's a Christian value. Uh, it's not my expertise. But um, we're meant to be in control. We are meant to own our choices, our actions, and our inactions. Straight people have tests. Single people have tests. Married people have tests. Um, so the idea that Whatever I want, I should be entitled to is certainly not a Jewish value. And to be fair to this listener, because he's probably uh, wringing his hands right now, I didn't. It's clear in in the rest of his comment that he's not saying that there's no place for for not pursuing your desires in 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 a Jewish life. Saying that's not the core principle of of being Jewish. And I and the point I think that's being made is if if you are gay, if you are born gay, then your whole life becomes about self denial. If that's not something that you're acting on. It becomes the center point of your life. Right. So I, w- I would phrase the question, rephrase the question is, how does Judaism envision a win for somebody who's queer? What does a win look like? Is the ask to be celibate? Is the ask to be alone? Is the ask to, to be in companionship with somebody who you don't want to journey through life with? Um, is the ask to misrepresent yourself as, as being straight when you're really not? And I think that the Haredi world is really at the very beginning of having these conversations. Um, and unfortunately, people are suffering while 
others are thinking about whether or not they want to have these conversations, particularly out loud. And it's a great disservice um, to have these conversations in silence because there are people who are thinking about themselves. And should I marry this person? Um, is my faith in the divine strong enough uh, to overcome my lack of attraction? And then the Talmud's explicit. It's, there's a biblical prohibition in marrying somebody that uh, one doesn't see first, right? The Gemara says, Asr. Uh, and it quotes the uh, verse uh, that uh, of loving another like you love yourself, and um, I think we can all wrap our heads around that. Like, yeah, well, you shouldn't marry somebody without ever like dating them, even in the most right. There's at least a, you get a thumbs up, thumbs down. And as much as the Gemara wants to frame that some people don't care anymore, that they would rather be to marry to anybody than than nobody, that's just not true today. And I think it's hard to so. There are some things that we have clarity on, and um, nobody wins when a person is forced to be disingenuous. And so I think that kind of denial of self-Judaism, if anything, it's an exploration of truth, the truth of ourselves, of each other, community, the divine. To me, Judaism is a path of questioning and a balance. Uh, and if, if I think the point here is if, if abnegation of your very identity becomes the core spiritual practice, uh, one one wonders, you know, if that's going to be an effective. Yeah, Judaism can't be defined as not Christianity, right? <laughs> like that's not a way to live. Do, Dovid, what do you think about this listener's comment? Do you do you feel like self abnegation has become a, a core part of your life, or do you think this listener's a little off base? So uh, you know, and, and uh, I, I would say like this. First of all, I, I agree with what Reverend Moskvin has said that there definitely needs to be a place for people to talk about this and to you know, to explore because the, the more you keep it a, a secret and the, and the less you have the ability to share it with anyone, uh, you know, you, you have, you have the opposite result where people say just the hell with it. I'm leaving the whole community as a whole because the whole community doesn't even recognize that there's even a struggle right. and uh, people need to have a place to address the struggle and to talk about it, whether publicly or pri- in a safe private space where they can just walk in. Uh, as far as myself, I don't feel like I'm denying myself anything. Uh, for, for me, you know, the, what was most important is for me to live in my truest self of who I am. And, and yes, I could, I could go ahead and take the easy path for me, which would be to leave, leave my marriage, even though it may not sound so easy. I could have left my marriage, go live a gay life and, and live with, with what I want. And again, in quotations, but I wouldn't have addressed any of my core needs through that. And by by really addressing who I am and what my needs are, I'm not denying myself. I'm actually helping myself grow to become the best person that I can be. So I don't believe that, that Judaism wants you to deny anything. I, I do think it is a Christian uh, concept, but I think that Judaism wants you to find yourself and who you truly are. And, and whether that's through being married to a woman, whether that's staying single, whether that's doing uh, therapy work, whether that's... You know, whatever it may be, Judaism wants you to grow and become who you truly are mm. and uh, in the healthiest possible way. We're talking about homosexuality and Orthodox Judaism. We've been talking about that for several weeks in, in honor of, of Pride Month. This week, we're specifically talking about male relationships, uh, same-sex attraction between cisgender males and um, and gay life in, in, in the, amongst men in Orthodox Judaism. Hana, who's cisgender female, a listener, writes in and wants me to actually read Leviticus 18.22 and Leviticus 20.13 and makes a point. So I'm going to read them. At least I'm going to read part of it. Uh, and Leviticus 18.22, uh, you shall not lie with men. Presumably it's being written, it's being said to a man. That itself is a whole different discussion. You shall not lie with men as with women. It is an abomination. Leviticus 20.13, if a man also lies with men as he lies with a wo- with women, both of them have committed an abomination. Okay, we talked last week about I'm not going to get into the lachic detail. But uh, Hannah's point is that actually there is quite a bit of discussion on this language. Of course, you're not going to lie with a man in the same way that you lie with a woman. So there's oh, it's open to interpretation. Um, okay. Valid point, and there was just some discussion on that last week. One more listener uh, comment before we uh, go to our last break. And this is quite interesting. This listener points out that it doesn't give a name also, that we are looking at this issue through only a small portion of the appropriate lens. It's not just about being gay or being straight. It's about the fact that in traditional 
Orthodox communities, there is pressure to produce children. And that you are supposed to produce families, sometimes over nine, I don't know exactly what the phrase phrase sometimes over nine, I don't know why let's pick nine, but over nine uh, kids and to pursue life as a Torah scholar. And here's the point that I found found most interesting. This is why it is easier to be gay in the Orthodox community as a man in Israel than in the United States because the pressure is less to produce offspring. And, you know, in our pregame research, Rabbi Moskovitz, there was quite a bit of evidence, actually, that there is the higher incidence of, of gay men in the Orthodox community being out in, in Israel. There are many more support organizations. We heard about that last week and the week before. Effectively, it's easier to be a gay man, at least. And actually, the argument was made a couple of weeks ago as a gay woman as well in Israel than in the United States. Do you agree? And why? Is this listener right? Is that why? <laughs> It's a great question. I don't know. I think it's probably multiple causality. I think there are a few things. One is that there's not like a Jewish and non-Jewish culture per se in, in Israel the way there is in America. Jews are a majority there. And so uh, I think that contributes. There's also much more support from the government. Uh, you can get uh, a lot of trans support. The Jerusalem Open House often offers subsidized uh, voice feminization services uh, for women of trans experience. And so it is, I think, shifting a little bit within the dominant culture. Um, and it does seem like there's a new LGBT organization popping up every week in Israel. There's now, uh, I think there, there are many. And I think in part because of um, the way in which the Jewish, uh, it's much more fluid there. Uh, in the Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox world here, it's a more insular community. And historically was a binary of, of uh, if you came out, you had to get out. It was seen as an intolerable deviancy. Where now, I think, um, even if people think that it's a deviant behavior, at least that it's tolerated that I'd rather you be here than leave. And uh, it took 3,500 years, I think, to go from one to the other, and then to go from there to acceptance and celebration, I think, happens very quickly. So I think uh, there are ways in which Israel is further advanced um, in these, in part because communities and families are still in conversation where in America, a person leaves Borough Park or Williamsburg, they might not ever come back where, you know, schlepping from Jerusalem to Tel Aviv and back is is like... You're still going to be surrounded by the Jewish envelope. So I think in that way, um, it's supporting it. And yeah, and the the pride march is there in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. We'll be right back in a moment. We're talking about gay male homosexuality and same-sex attraction in the Orthodox Jewish community. I will point out that on a number of issues, whether it has to do with uh, mental health, uh, family structures, number of, of somewhat quote-unquote controversial issues we've touched on in this program, it seems to be that in the Orthodox, even the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel, there's more of a progressive and inclusive view. Interesting topic, perhaps, for another show. We'll be right back. Oh, yes, I'm the great Equal Footing is brought to you in part by Manhattan Medical. This is an, a, very, a very important message for men, whether you are gay or straight, and it's about erectile dysfunction. It's not something to be ashamed about. It affects almost 70% of men in their lifetime. There are options out there. Manhattan Medical focuses on solutions to erectile dysfunction. They have a new and effective therapy called Gaines Wave Therapy. It's been around for quite a while in Europe and even in Canada. Recently, in the United States helps patients receive uh, achieve excellent results. It does not involve expensive blue pills. Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy is non-invasive. It's surgery-free. It's painless. There are no side effects. And again, for most patients, wonderful results. Call Manhattan Medical about their ED Gaines Wave Therapy. It's 888-ED-CURE-9. That's 888-ED-CURE-9 or 888-IN-NUMBERS-332-8739. 888 332-8739, Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Therapy for Erectile Dysfunction. It's available for any patient in the United States. You do not have to, you do not have to be in Manhattan or the New York area. You can get a teleconsult. Call 888-332-8739. And if you mention that you heard about Manhattan Medical on equal footing, 
you get a free consultation that's a $250 value. So call 888-332-8739 and mention Equal Footing for Manhattan Medical's Gaines Wave Erectile Dysfunction Therapy. We'll be right back. I've been Back with David Green and Rabbi Mike Moskowitz talking about male same-sex attraction and homosexuality in the gay, in the Orthodox Jewish community and the gay community. That'd be redundant. David, I'm going to hit as we as we finish a couple of, of of sensitive questions that may be on folks' mind. Do you ever wish you weren't Orthodox? So you could live more freely or this struggle could be uh, more freely. What, what advice would you give to Orthodox men struggling with same sex attraction in this regard? Stay in the community, leave the community. That's a great question. Um, I will say when I, before I had began my healing journey, uh, yeah, when I, I had wished I wasn't born in an Orthodox family, I didn't care whether it was a Jewish family or not so that I can just, live uh, without any restrictions or requirements or anything. I can just be myself and, again, setting quotations. Uh, you know, so, but, but as, I, as I mentioned before, for me, it wasn't, uh, when I understood that it wasn't so much about the orthodox approach, it was more kind of about the, uh, my, my history that led me down this, uh, this road. Uh, orthodoxy actually gave me a, a structure and a framework to, uh, to, to deal with the issue. And sadly, like I said, there isn't much place in the Orthodox community to talk about it. And, uh, and my hope is that eventually there will be. But uh, I, you know, I, I, at this point, I have no desire to leave the Orthodox community. Uh, and if somebody was struggling, I would say, you know, to look at it, whether it's Orthodoxy that's the problem or something else that, uh, that you're struggling with, do you not have the people to talk with? Do you not have the right environment. You know, oftentimes somebody will uh, go to a therapist or go, go to, to one experience or whatever it might be, and they'll go to that, they'll have that meeting, and they'll come back and they'll write off the entire thing. Um, and sadly, because orthodoxy at the moment, um, and it's gotten better, but doesn't um, allow people to express their struggle and, and talk about it, uh, people just throw the, throw, you know, I think the expression is throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, so I would encourage people to find the support within the community because it is there. Yeah. I, I wish we had another hour. We're coming up on the hour. We have a, a number. We have a caller who is waiting. I'm sorry we're not going to get to you. Caller, thank you for calling in, though. And then we have a number of folks who have, who have, who have written in with stories of uh, friends and loved ones who have left the community. And and, and the large theme, the, the theme here being lamenting that they had to leave. Rabbi Moskowitz, uh, finish us off here uh, by answering what I think is kind of the key threading question, which is, do you think there is an inherent tension in in the practical world between being a gay man and being Orthodox, must you be live in life of tension? Or is there a, a real way to reconcile? And I'm sorry, you just have a minute to respond. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <coughs> me. I absolutely believe that there is a path forward that is free from that tension. I don't know that we have the answers yet um, and a roadmap, but um, life is, for most people, a struggle, and there's nothing to do about that. But that the struggle should be, do I belong here? Am I good enough to be alive? That's a struggle that we need to eradicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and when parents come and say that their kid just came out as queer uh, after seminary, I ask, are like, they still Shomer Shabbos? And they say, yes. And so I say, okay, great. So you have a choice. You can either have a, a queer kid that's Shomer Shabbos or a queer kid that's not Shomer Shabbos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one of those is a choice. And so when I think about the tension that exists, I think the work really is in that sense of communal responsibility and making people feel like we all have struggles and there's holiness in the struggles. But uh, the struggle of being should not be one of them. Amen. You know what? We have time for a 15-second response for you to finish us off, David, in your lived experience. What is the bravest thing that you think, think a man that's, that's suffering or suffering is going through the struggle of having same-sex attraction and feeling isolated uh, or, or, yeah, isolated within the Orthodox community? What's the bravest response to that? Just very quickly, and then we've got to end. I think the bravest the response is to continue uh seeking help and finding finding support 
uh, to know that you're, you know, that there's, there is hope and there is uh, support and you can find the connections with other men in a healthy ways. Um, and you don't have to, uh, struggle your entire life. There is, there is, uh, there is support. And two ways you can get support is by going to Rabbi Mike Moskowitz with a V, Rabbi Mike Moskowitz, W, Rabbi Mike Moskowitz.com or writing Dovid at Dovid Green with no E at the end. Dovid Green. Thank you.